Hello everyone, I am Stephen Drew and we are back with another episode today. So recently I was reached out, I had a nice message. It's quite nice when you get a good message which isn't a bill or anything like that. I had a message from a fellow architect on LinkedIn who let me know about their awesome book which is on Amazon. And this book resonated with me because the title of this awesome ebook is points to consider the 50 point handbook for students of architecture and i'm joined here by the author fellow architect jacob peplow jacob how are you today you all right i'm great thanks Stephen. thank you i should have tested my the soundboard before we got on but i'm gonna do real claps and I've got the sarcastic bell ready where we can obviously talk about our journeys of studying architecture. So, Jacob, before we talk about some of the 50 points, and we both picked five of our favorite points in your book, having read it, I loved it. It made me think of some of the good times as well as some of the mistakes I made. But, Jacob, do you want to, first of all, tell me a little bit about yourself and your journey into writing this yeah, I am Jacob Peplow. I'm an architect at Race Cotton Associates in Sheffield. Um, I've worked here for seven years, but I've been kind of in architectural kind of either work or academia for the last 10. Um, everybody knows it takes a pretty long time to get here. So I um, I started writing this. It was kind of prompted by my part three, really. It was, it was the midst of lockdown, sat in a spare bedroom doing the remote part three um learning and it was all about reflection and kind of your journey to where you got to so far and i just started thinking that i had a couple of prompts like oh yeah i really wish somebody would have told me these but what, eight nine years ago when i first started and then i started writing a couple more and a couple more and it just kind of slowly snowballed into um the points to consider book um as part of my work at race Cotton, i do the work experience program as well so i'm constantly speaking to younger kind of students people who are at uni people are thinking about architecture so I thought what would be useful to give to these kind of people that are wanting to embark on that kind of journey and um yeah three years later two years later it finally has emerged which I'm really happy about well done I am um, I've gone through it and I think it's really useful and I'm glad that there's more of these resources around and I'm glad that some good stuff came out of um, lockdown because it's very tempting isn't it just to kind of binge on Netflix and drink copious amounts of wine which I definitely did for the first two <laughs> to three weeks uh, Jacob but um yeah i remember i mean the thing is when you're studying architecture you don't really know what you're getting into in my opinion and uh, some yeah. people it's a long course you don't think about that too much you rock up in first year and it would be nice to have that guidance there but maybe what we'll jump in because there's 50 points to consider and i thought this episode what we'll do is we'll talk about 10 of them and if anyone else wants to look at the other points we've got all the links for this awesome ebook which you can pick up on amazon and kindle but i'm going to talk about the five that resonated with me and jacob you've got some i know it was they're all your babies and you know it's, you've got 50 to choose from but we picked five that we like and from that 
we'll build the conversation. So my my first one that I liked, I'm going to bring it back up here, uh, is winging it won't work. And we laughed about this just before we started recording it because I, I said the architecture social is a bit of a wing. And then I corrected myself because actually I don't think it is. Um, but what I've realized over time is that I now build up a framework of points that I want to cover. So before this, we structured the 10 points that we wanted to talk about and everything in between, I'm going to freestyle. And what I've, I've learned is that in architecture, I think when you've done your projects when you're a student, if you've kind of sussed it all out, if you put the hours in, you generally know your project. So that if someone asks you a question off the cuff, you can answer it, okay? And actually, that's not winging it. That's how you having a conversation about your project. And I think that the, the reason you got there is because you know your project so well. Having said that, though, I have been in the position, and I've also seen a lot of people in studio, Jacob, who basically, you've done the all-nighter, you don't particularly finish what you've got ready for the crit, you've got one or two drawings, and you think, ah, crap, I'm going to have to wing this totally. And you kind of, you're in that awful zone where you're thinking i hope this doesn't come up i'll blag this point and we'll see if we can just survive through it and that is the worst feeling in the world if you get caught out in a crit and it just doesn't feel really good and i've kind of made that mistake and i i and therefore i agree agree with you winging it will not work but Jacob, tell us about your thoughts on why winging it won't work and tell us why you wrote with it and if you agree with me on my horrible, embarrassing experiences of winging it not working. Yeah, I mean, I'll preface this by saying I fell foul of every single one in this book. That's yeah. why I feel like I can write a little bit about it because <laughs> I've done all of these to the worst extent you can imagine. Um, so winging it won't work, the point there was... For me, that when you are in that position and you you're a little bit unsure about your work, sometimes you're not really certain if the drawings are there or if they or any presentation materials not there, and you even think about well, should I go to my studio session or shall I just spend that bit of time trying to refine the work? Always go to it because your tutors are there for you. Mm. If you can take enough information to further your design, to further the conversation around your project, to further the problem you're trying to solve. It doesn't matter if it's not beautiful renders. People would rather see scribbles and sketches on walls and enough to be able to further your project. And you're the expert in your own project. So even if the drawings are kind of reflective of a beautiful architectural kind of student studio project, you know your project inside out without a doubt. So take enough to be able to, like, as you said, Stephen, take enough to be able to have a bit of a, fr of a framework, know what, you, know what you want to get out of it, even if it's in quick scribbles on tracing paper, but you can forward that conversation just by having that bit of planning without having to absolutely kill yourself the night before. Mm, well said. I um, I do think as well, it, winging it does tend to come from, doesn't it, when you've left things to the last minute. And you generally can't um, you can't do anything more. 
yeah. think a lot yeah. of the points here comes to planning and time, but I'm sure you cover a lot of them. And, you know, I, I don't want to add to the 50 points because they're all good. I just tend, tended to find that time management was one of the banes of, of, of my existence. Now, on that point, right, you've got one here that I want, I think it's, it wouldn't be the first thing that came to my brain, which is your next point, which was point number nine, leisure is fuel. Now, Jacob, what the heck do you mean by leisure is fuel, yeah? So I've kind of, I'm not going to say stolen, I've lifted the, the terminology from a graphic designer in America who's, who's used this to um, combat the idea that, and it's always been present in architecture, both industry and academia, that it's work, 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 work until it's finished. It doesn't matter what. And actually, it's resulting in quite toxic practices, mm -hmm. um, especially in education. You're, if, if you're not kind of exhausted, over-caffeinated and pulling all-nighters, then you're not working hard enough. Mm -hmm. And I think that's slowly starting to get phased out with a lot of the um, kind of reports that are coming out recently. But I don't think you can consider leisure time kind of as this nice little extra to have. It's fundamental to, your, to you being creative. You need that downtime to step away for your own well-being, to explore other things that are kind of either tangential to architecture or completely kind of completely separate. If the purpose of creativity is to be able to pull ideas from different places, and all you're doing is being focused on your project until you're exhausted. Your project's going to be terrible. You're going to feel shocking. It's just, it's, it seems like a very downhill slope to me. So breaking free of all of that and doing something you want to do for yourself. I mean, you study in architecture, that project is going to be in the back of your head. It just is. There's no getting away from that. But you're putting your well-being and your own passions in front of that temporarily. And what that will actually do is strengthen you as a person. It will strengthen your ideas. You'll pull different inspiration and it will benefit your project. So if you struggle with the idea of being able to justify it, if you look at it as part of your creative process, then it's as fundamental as drawing. It's mm. just f f kind of framed slightly, slightly, slightly differently. Well said. Oh, we're dropping, we're dropping the oh, headphones. We're dropping... AirPods, shocking. I know. Well, don't worry. We've got to relax here. Like you said, the, the podcast is also leisure as fuel, and you know more than anyone that we're just blowing off a bit of steam here. So don't don't worry about don't worry about it. We're all relaxed. The studio vibe, you know, we'll get through it together. What I was going to say before I had a giggle about your misfortune. I'm only joking. You're, we're, 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 it's. It's not a big deal. I'm just teasing you a little bit now on, on the recording. What I was going to say is that um, you're right. I used to, especially for first to fifth year, right? I used to do all the wrong things, Jacob. I used to leave things to the last minute. I used to kind of fumble around with the printers in the morning after not sleeping and all the opposite ways of... Um, doing it wrong and it was actually in my last year of part two which is the sixth year that i thought you know what i'm gonna view this differently and i started doing the work in the day getting up like you know having my breakfast doing my projects had a good flatmate with a bit of banter and i would do it during normal hours and it was more of a healthy way to do it and um that really 
was then my strongest project by far at the end of the year. And I'd thought about everything. And it's because I could then play a video game. I could do all this stuff. I wasn't killing myself. I didn't wait until the printer's last minute. I didn't do any of that crazy stuff. And, and it felt much more of a leisurely pace because I basically got like the work-life balance correct and and therefore the project was stronger so that's how i interpret leisure is pure because it was more of a leisurely pace but actually it's probably more hours than i ever done in all the other projects jacob however i didn't kill myself in the process i just did a lot of hours every day did you ever do that or were you in the late night camp um i in a very similar way to you. So my part one, I was very much work, work, work until I stopped. And then it, I'd ended up having a bit of a kind of quite negative perception of my part one after that because it was just so much work. But then it, yeah. in, in, in my part two is when I um, had my first child. So it kind of forced me out of that. Did you? I, kind of whether I liked it or not. <laughs> so I did my part two part time. So I was working, had a kid at home, so I had to really be careful with how how I kind of navigated that. So yeah. it kind of forced me into not necessarily so much leisure time, but being strict, kind of being strict about how I worked and how I wasn't working, more importantly. I mean, you just picked up on playing video games as a kind of leisure activity during part one. You, you will still even if it's a complete disconnect from architecture, you'll still be picking things up in the back of your mind about, even if it's like a colour palette or a sound or something, you'll bring back into all your creativity and it just enriches you as a person having that downtime. And it sounds a bit silly to say that, I don't know, watching a film or going for a walk or something makes you more creative, but there's mountains of evidence that it does. And it's fundamental, I think. It's one of the key things in, in the handbook is that one for me. Yeah, I I agree. I remember the time Tron came out and I was blown away. And there was like a little mini period when Tron was starting to bleed into my project. But luckily my tutor bashed it out. Of me. <laughs> and, and so I was playing Skyrim at the time, which was like a yeah. really awesome game. But it's still out today. It's like, come yeah. on, Bethesda, you've got to make a new game. <laughs> come on, come on. We've got to move on from that, um, Bethesda. But come on, Sky. we need something else in Skyrim. Anyways, I, I digress. Um Okay, so the next point that I picked up from your awesome ebook, which I liked, was number 14, which is address and not solve. Now, my interpretation of this is um, twofold, and you could tell me your interpretation as the author as well. So sometimes I would. Because in an architecture, you get the brief. I'd think, oh my gosh, I've got this complicated brief. I need to solve the problem. And sometimes that idea of solving it, I'd stop beginning on it. I'd stop working on the brief per se. I'd kind of get writer's blockies to call it back then. And then it was quite easy to go with my flatmates or something on the booze and ignore it to the next day. And then I'd ignore it to the next day and the next day and the next day, Jacob, to the fact when I, I then I had to frantically try and solve the problem because I'd left it too late, you know? Yeah. Um, so whereas if, if, if you begin to tackle the problem, 
you start addressing the brief, you start tackling it, then the solution can come, I don't know, halfway through the process or whatever, or it's that journey, that design iteration that evolves. One of the, the architecture directors I spoke to recently said that a lot of architecture is just doing, and by doing, you find the solution, and that's a design director that I respect. So I wish that someone told me you don't necessarily have to have the answer at the start. You've just got to start designing and tackling the brief you give them and, and seeing where that journey goes. But Jacob, as the author who eloquently wrote this book, do you want to tell us what your interpretation of Address Not Solve is? So I actually think your interpretation is really, really, really good, actually. I've not approached it from a kind of design process perspective but i think it is a it's it's kind of two sides of the same coin i think so my original point with this is the briefs and the problems you try to tackle in uni tend to be quite large scale quite global they're always referencing much wider kind of issues either locally nationally internationally globally like i said or um so say i don't know say it's kind of wider ethical issues say it's housing crisis, so it's anything like that. You can't solve that with a single student project, but I think it's important to know that that's not the point of your architecture project. It's there to kind of explore it and it's there to contribute to the conversation rather than absolutely, because you're not going to solve these problems with a single architecture project, but you're contributing to that conversation. And I think that's a way to not get overwhelmed. Mm. Just, just appreciate that your research is viable, it's useful, it's drawing on other things, but it's not, the aim isn't to solve absolutely every tiny little instance that comes around this project. Fair enough. I heard, heard the doorbell go. Have you ordered anything from Amazon in the background? <laughs> Nothing that exciting. Oh, and for, uh, come on, was it some stuff for your kid or whatever? No, it's people just coming in and out of the office. <laughs> <laughs> oh, we're in the office right now. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. We're, we're, in, we're in the practice. Remind us, what architectural practice are you in right now? It's um, Race Cotton Associates in Sheffield. Well, shout out to them for letting you record this on your lunch break. And I promise we will not um, overrun if, if possible. <laughs> but uh, we're, we're, we're blitzing through this at a nice pace. Although, um, I think maybe some of the better, you know, they're all good. But we've got some exciting ones to come. So we just tackled four. So bear with us, guys. We're going we're gonna to chip away through this. Now, um, Jake, Jacob, I think this was your next point, which was yeah. the one you liked, which is context is king. Do you want to jump into it? Yeah, absolutely. Um, this is something that got hammered into us from the first day of part one all the way through to the latter presentations at part two. Um, and it's something that you'll see in practice also. It's probably the most relevant, or probably one of the shortest points in the book, but actually the most relevant, is that context, it literally, well, it's as it says, context is king, from the physical um, kind of site context, wider site contexts, in terms of the built environment, right down to the kind of the political context that your project has been set in, Without that context, the architecture isn't, it's just, it's unresponsive, it's an idea, it's a, or almost kind of like sculptural element. As soon as you give it the context, the social context, the environmental context, the political context, the physical, that's when it starts to be useful. And um, I suppose it 
it turns it turns the art of architecture into having some utility to respond to those ideas. And it comes back to the um, to the address not solve thing as well. That without that context, you don't even know what problems it is you're addressing. They'll all stem from the local and kind of wider context. Yeah, fair enough. I um, you know, I talked earlier, Jacob, about um Tron. I remember. That, that's exactly what my tutor was picking up. He's like, why are you inserting like a Tron casino-y vibe in, in Hull? And I was, for whatever reason, interested in like um, casinos at the time, more because how destructive they can be to a community. And my thesis, for whatever reason, was like, how much can you offset in the community by enabling this awful behavior by giving them money? Mm. So that was my whole thesis. Anyways, when I got rid of the Tron and I thought about the context of where Hull and I looked into their old history and the old, the old stuff they'd done, I started dripping my evil casino with like um, the, the old heritage, the old racing tracks, dog racing and all this stuff. So it kind of became this like crazy old world, you know, like Westworld. It started yeah, yeah. like I made basically a Westworld in like north of England. But the point was, I could get away with my crazy idea then because it had much more context than just a Tron casino, where which has no context because Tron's, you know, a different world. So that's it. So that historical context actually justifies your project and your proposal because it's rooted in something. Exactly. So, if, and guys, I'm not saying I'm evil in that way, but I was just fascinated with the by the thesis. But you're right; I could justify, it, and that was the point where people were like, "Ah, I'm kind of okay with it now, but it feels wrong." And that's where, yeah, that's what was interesting about the project. So, um, I appreciate that one. Now, Jacob, the next one is a bit of um, a bit of a controversial one for me, a very controversial one, because I never did this point. Okay, and I, uh, I avoided it um, uh, a lot. And the, the one I picked was making a model. Now, we laughed about this before we started, um, but I actively, Jacob, avoided making a physical model. I hated making models. I had Shrek fingers. I would destroy everything I touched. It would look awful. I remember I had one white foam model where I had blood on it. You know, it was just disgusting because I had no patience. I have a very short attention span and I would uh, actively avoid making models at all costs. Having said that, I did one, two weeks uh, um, of experience, work experience at Cullinan Architects and the task they gave me to do was making a physical model for two weeks, which was my nightmare right and but at the end of it i made this beautiful model and they loved it and they used it as part of the project and it offered a lot of value to the project and they used it in site meetings and people loved this model which i didn't get any blood over it or sweat or tears and well there was a lot of tears but luckily not on the model and um at the end of it I appreciated, um, sorry, the doorbell's going again. I appreciated the, the, the point of making a model. Having said that, in my projects, I, I try to avoid doing them at all costs. Now, what's your thoughts on making a model and why did you include this as one of the most important points in the book? So initially, I was the same as you. Um, I've gotten, I had no 
dexterity with making models at all. Um, it was always something I'd much rather draw than do things in than physically create things in 3D until yep. I actually started to do it. Now, I only ever really made sketch models because um, you, you could just be quite heavy-handed with those and it been conceptual. Um, but it's just, it takes that, if the purpose of a drawing and that communication is to turn an idea into an experience for somebody, they can see what's in your head. The next stage of that is to make it 3D. It makes it far more accessible and you can test ideas in slightly different ways than you can even with a 3D sketch, I think sometimes, because you can see it from different angles. But it's about, I think this point isn't necessarily to, I mean, if you want to do beautiful presentation models, great, but it's it's more to test in 3D. So use cheap materials, use cardboard. I did a landscape model in my part one and I used plasticine so I could just constantly rework it and take photos and use it in that way. Use it as a design tool, not just a presentation uh, kind of, near medium and I think that's what I got out of making models the cheaper the quicker helped to f again further that design process and communicate a concept rather than making every single window detail absolutely perfect and I'm, I'm, I'm in awe of people that can actually use presentation models like that um, I'm just not one of them but I do see the value in making um, especially at university making quick 3D models so. Yeah, yeah. I mean, fair, fair enough. I think you're right. I think um, a beautiful model on your in your design crits with the pin up against the wall can be one of the most amazing things. And one yeah. of my flatmates spent so long at the time making this model, and it was amazing, and it really sold the scheme because this there's something that you can't quite get on computers about having something physical. Yeah. Having said that, I absolutely hated doing models. And um, I, I agree with you. I encourage people to push through that pain. Now, you have to forgive me. I can't remember. Was that my one? I think that was my one. I think I picked it. Yeah, because, I think it was, yeah. Yeah, I, there you go. I kind of outed myself as the... Um, anti-model maker at the time but I do think people should do it now your next point yeah and we're we're doing really well on the pace here the next one was a building is not a fixed object in time Ooh, can you can you extrapolate that for anyone that's thinking what the heck do you mean Jacob so this came out of my part two quite a lot um, and it was the idea that just because your student project ends at a certain yep. point, the building you're designing, even though it's fictitious, will have a life after the project. And I think it shows a lot about people when they can, when they can consider that going forward, even though they, as the kind of fictional architect, they won't be involved. The building is there. It's considering how it will be used, how it will be occupied, how will people add to it, how will it change over time. And just considering, again, it comes back to context as well. How will, if the context of that area of that, whatever it may be changes, how does your building respond to that in the future? There's a kind of, there's quite a concept, well, it's not a conceptual kind of um, theory, but it's something called palimpsest. And it's the kind of where there's visible remnants of the different occupiers of the building through time. You see it in some historical buildings. Um, and I think just having that awareness that your 
building will have different occupants over time. Different people will change it and engage with it, and the world will change. But your building will have to respond to that. It's not a snapshot of a time. And I think trying to consider that in your products can be real. And it also it gives you a lot to think about. It's a really interesting topic about how you'd leave that building to perform in a certain way. Amazing. Well, I, could, I couldn't have said it any better myself. So, uh, you know, I, I, I won't um, add too much to it, but I can, see, I can see what you mean. Now, I'm excited, if it's cool with you, to talk about the next one because it's a bit of a controversial one. Um, which is stop bullshitting, right? So, I think that's a really good one for life. I some people say fake it till you make it. I don't. I can see the value in that, but bullshitting is bullshitting, and I'm convinced that bullshitting catches up with you, right? So, what I've learned is that there's a power in saying no, and there's also a power in saying I don't know. Yeah, it's very embarrassing at the time, Jacob, to say I don't know. So what we all do, I think, is we we go into especially if we're in winging it mode, as we touched upon earlier. It's it when you're in winging it mode and someone asks you a question you don't know, then you can go into bullshit mode. Now. The biggest problem with bullshitting, in my experience, is that it's very easy to see someone else who's bullshitting. And what's that famous saying? Don't bullshit a bullshitter, you know? And and um, I think that an architect can pick up bullshitting very easy because they've been practicing architecture for a while and chances are someone in your crit is going to is going to pick up bullshit but it's actually okay in my opinion to say that you don't know something or um you can say well actually that's a good point i haven't done that yet i'll look at that in the next iteration of the project that's fine too but i think as human beings we like to we don't like to say that we don't know something and we kind of cover it up with bullshit. And I think that can instantly taint the um, the conversation. And I think tutors to get a little bit frustrated when they feel that someone is trying to blag it and someone's trying to bullshit it. And generally, I mean, even now, I always think I see a lot of the stuff I do in the architecture social is about CVs and portfolios as well. And I think that if you start bullshitting earlier on in your career, it's quite it's quite it's quite easy to keep bullshitting. And actually bullshitting will catch up with you. Uh, if you lie about stuff on your CVs, it does catch up with you. And I think it's much better to be honest. And um and maybe it's just because I'm rewatching Game of Thrones with my with my partner. But like was that Tyrion Lannister quote when when he talks and he's like a short um he's a dwarf okay. there in the you know Game of Thrones at the time and he's talking to another character which is a which is a bastard. And when I say that it's not because I don't like the character, he's literally the definition of a bastard is he's born out of wedlock. And he says that you have to embrace the things which are, you are inadequate with yourself and wear it like armor so that no one can use it against you. And, and where I'm going with this is that we, we try to bullshit to hide stuff, but it's very disarming if you say you don't know something because then people can't use it against you, you know? 
it, it kind of like, oh, okay, you don't know something, we move on. But if you bullshit it and people like to dig into it, you're a liar, you're this, you're that. So it's very, I think it's, sometimes it's a good thing to bring up maybe the shortcomings in your project or and or, uh, say the bits that you haven't done yet and emphasize you've been working on the bits you have done. Jacob, I kind of went off on a monologue, hopefully in a good way, because I'm passionate about this point. Uh, what do you think of my example, um, excusing the Game of Thrones um, reference or precedent? I, I mean, I'm happy with Game of Thrones related references. That's not a problem. Um, but yeah, I think, I mean, it's such a kind of cliche, but it, there's no such thing as a stupid question. If you're trying to improve yourself by asking a question, it doesn't make it stupid. If you perceive it as stupid, then it's only a stupid question once, and then you've got the answer, and then you've improved. So, uh, yeah, the idea of trying to lie to cover something up, even if you isolate it to an academic setting, your tutors will see straight through it anyway. But if, if, if you try to use kind of the archi-speak and trying to sound like some architects that you've listened to presentations, what you really run the risk of either sounding pretentious and not actually knowing what your own project's about. If you can really simply state what your project's about, it's like the elevator, um, kind of the elevator pitch idea, if you can't simply, really simply explain your project, then you don't know it enough. You don't need all the kind of, um, uh, I don't know the terminology, it's kind of the highfalutin kind of speak that you hear on presentations. So if you don't need it, you need to be able to very clearly explain effectively what your project's about. And then the discussions you'll have it, during that time will be about the projects and about developing your work, not your kind of lack of ability to communicate it. And it focuses the conversation to where it needs to be. And there's nothing worse than hearing people use the language that they think is right incorrectly because that's what you focus on. Not the fact they might actually have the core of a really good project that they've spent weeks kind of agonizing over and that's what's important. Guys, my, my podcast software, my internet connection died for the first time in two years but there's a first time for everything and if i could make up a point that i would insert it would be to roll with the punches and basically what i've learned is that nothing works perfectly things break down tech breaks especially if you're doing a crit online or anything like that or in person things go wrong there can be a noisy environment the internet can drop off just like it did and unfortunately things happen but rather than you getting upset or wound up about these stuff you've just got to move on and it helps if you get a sarcasm bell because then you can just press it when things go wrong that's what i do on the live stream maybe don't take a bell into your um crits or whatever jacob uh, this was not a point in the book but maybe it could be point 51 um <laughs> but rolling with the punches do you agree with with that principle i think that's a good idea also quite like point 52 always have a sarcasm l on hand yeah i well i i reckon tutors might get really annoyed with you and we wouldn't want any <laughs> yeah. butler-esque scenarios before well, no. where like bells are thrown around <laughs> and stuff um Hey, actually, I need to clarify on that. Bartlett are reforming and all this stuff, which is good. I'm glad we're talking about 
um, those kind of things as well. And we shouldn't put up with that in studio. So sarcasm bells aside, now we've got to continue rolling with the punches. Now, Jacob, in terms of rolling with the punches, I've lost my chat list at the next point. <laughs> but because you've been in the room when I got disconnected, you might have them next. What was the next one on, on our list, my friend? So that's number 25, is uh, use precedence properly. Right, okay. Now, you're pressed, using precedent properly, so is do you mean by that, like you shouldn't copy a precedent, literally? Or what, what was in your mind? Yeah, I think it's um, spend the time to do a bit of analysis on the precedents you're using. If you're just lifting particular things that you like from Zahara Deed or kind of insert your architect here, it, I think it shows a bit of a lack of kind of critical thinking and actually probably will detract from your project. If you like a particular way something looks or the detail or the material or the form, spend a bit of time and think about why that design move has been done the way it has, what kind of visual impact does it have, what conceptual impact, um, again back to context, what context, what contextual impact will those particular things have as opposed to just looking at an image i like that i'll add it onto mine um if you i think if you do it wrong it can come across as quite arbitrary yeah. and actually take away from the point you're trying to make so just spend that bit of time looking at precedence a bit harder i think and it's something we do in the practice um it's a particular skill you've got to learn but you learn by just practicing it yeah well said i um you will laugh this popped up the other day because I do recruitment for an architectural practice where I worked at before and we had an applicant and part of their project was and part of their portfolio was a project they've been working on for the last two years, Jacob. Now this company did the landscaping drawings for the architecture practice I worked on and um, one of the um, the drawings of the projects was exactly the same as the scheme that we did years ago in their newer version. It was like a triangular building and the floor plan was exactly the same. And I, I said to my old line manager, wow, well, maybe they used it as a precedent and he was like, hmm, that's a very nice way, Steve, of saying that they <laughs> yeah. stole my bloody drawings. So, um, yeah, exactly. You don't want a carbon copy, isn't it? A precedent should be a precedent, not a case of um, I've done another Herzog de Muren shard because I like it, right? That's it. I think if you if you just do the carbon copy thing, it, it almost looks like a like a bit of a trademark, and it just I think it it just weakens, especially at universities, it weakens the kind of spent so long crafting this concept and the story and you just chuck something arbitrary at it it kind of takes away from it yeah well said all right perfect so again because i haven't got my list and we're rolling with the punches because my software crashed how many more points have we got jacob one or two left is that right yeah there's there's two left the next one's your selection and then we'll end on the one i picked perfect can you remind me what um what the um what the what my point was so it was allocate some time for formatting and then double it okay uh i am biased on this one because when you said formatting when you wrote it i interpreted that as the graphic design and presentation is that what you meant um yeah it is um i think particularly 
uh, for really nice kind of presentations, not kind of like yeah. little interim crits or studios time, but also the final portfolio. Yeah. Um, it's, it's slightly cribbed from the old, um, I suppose my old office mentor who always used to say, however long you think something's going to take you in practice, always add X amount to the end of it because that's how long it's actually going to take you. And I think formatting is something because in our kind of through architecture, you always do different drawing sizes. The pin up on the wall will be slightly different. You might have models, you might have little booklets, you will have some portfolio stuff. Actually pulling all that together in one cohesive kind of format can really take a long time. And despite imagery being exceptionally important when you're trying to communicate actually in a portfolio format, you do need that supplementary annotation and writing that linking because you want it's unlikely you'll already have that written. Mm. It takes a long time. It's not the most exciting point of the book this, but I think it's something that if you make sure you've got adequate time to c- communicate and it's the kind of the less sexy side of storytelling in architecture, but it's still important. It does take time. It takes rigor. You need to link it back to your story, what you're trying to tell. And I just think it's worth reminding people that it does take a fair bit of time. Yeah. Even if you've already got all the graphic stuff there, there's another layer to it. And like I said, treat it as part of the storytelling, but therefore have an awareness that that storytelling takes takes time. Yeah, well said. I um, I think formatting is everything, actually, in that way. Because, okay, the crit is important and you're convincing people in the room. The reality is, though, people are judging the, the end product, right? And that journey that you're going through it, how, the pages of the portfolio, the layout, the graphic design, it's kind of everything. And I think that, if if the, you as you say, if you don't spend time on that, you're kind of doing a disservice to the actual project that you've got. Maybe you have like the most beautiful project and you have the a beautiful model, but the reality is, it's like how do you show that portfolio? How do you format it? And um, I'd go even further also to say that it's how yeah you need to spend double time jacob on all this stuff like you want about and that's true actually it's like being smart about it because like i know people who had like loads of photoshop files and i would be like dude you need to get in InDesign. you know you need to start thinking about that book you need to get yeah. all the pages down and and actually getting in in design as early as possible i think it's really important because mm-hmm. when you be go, when you're job looking then your cv and portfolio it's basically the same exercise right yeah and and that curation is really important because you're selling a narrative and so i think that formatting is everything so you agree double it and i'm saying it's everything so there you go that's um that's my thoughts on it now tell me we've got last but not least and now was it a good one that we're ending on i forget it is, and it's um, it's one that you'd you agree with, I believe, and it's um, just really simple. Calm down. Oh yeah, well, Which I think it's a good point for our tech students. Well, that's one I still need to focus on, Jacob. In my in my real life, I tend to, even now, it's one that I say, and I have to constantly remind myself. But um, speaking from when I studied architecture, the top of my head you know getting stressed about 
leaving things to the last minute and panicking through is not going to do you any good. I mean, obviously, it, it helps to plan things beforehand. I think you have to calm down, but it's a two-way thing. It's it, it's it helps if you if you take all of the points we talked about. You 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 plan everything out before. You're more likely to be calm. You're you're more likely not to get into that crazy situation. But if, for instance, things don't go your way or the the printer clogs up, that would be one that happened in my studio. Be queues for printers, and then you know it runs out of ink or breaks. You have to just calm down. It's not ideal, but it's an ongoing thing. And 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 I think. If you don't calm down, you're more likely to give up. And then if you give up, then you've given up, right? What the heck? It's all about ongoing and, and, and learning through it. And also, I'd say if maybe if your crit didn't go the way you want and you've got ripped to shreds and you feel like, you know, a piece of crap or whatever, then actually, if you just breathe, calm down, deal with it the next day, the, I mean, the whole point of a crit should be to chew you up so that you get better, you you bounce back from it. So um, calming down and, and plowing on is probably, in my opinion, the way to go. Um, but I need to constantly calm down myself. How about you, Jacob? What's your, what's your thoughts on calming down? Yeah, I think the crit thing is one of the key things I um, had in mind with this. People yeah. see crits as witch hunts mm. and they are the exact... They're the exact opposite. All they are is a more formalized way to test. It's just to test an idea. Any feedback you get is not to kind of knock your enthusiasm and to kind of pin you down. It's there to say, okay, that hasn't worked. Look at this. Mm. Take it forward. It's about progression. It's it's just it's it's platforms to help your project. You're in charge of that crit, not the tutors. The tutors are there to help. It's your crit. It's your presentation. <laughs> You're the expert on your project. You're seeking extra help with it. And I suppose speaking on your, on your point generally, architecture is an intense thing to study. Yeah. It's a lot of work. It's a lot of, it's, it's just a lot of graft. If you let the little things really interfere, it's very easy to think, oh, no, hands up. I'm just going to walk away from it. I can't be bothered. You yeah. need to kind of really do try to keep a level head and realize that if you do, even if you have what you perceive to be a terrible career, it doesn't matter really doesn't matter <laughs> all it is is take it in a slightly different way get back on it the next day and it'll be fine it's not the end of the world and it's just it's such an amazing subject to actually study and it's really enjoyable to study it and if you lose sight of that it can become really stressful and really intense and i'm glad that i mean obviously you mentioned the battle earlier but i think education typically is moving away from that hyper stress hyper intensity and it's trying to focus more on the enjoyment. And I think just calming down about things is a really big point in that. Mm, well done. Well, I think keep calm, carry on. I hate that slogan, but it is true, isn't it? It's that, it's that terrible one. Well, we've done it. We've made it somewhat. To, we've done our 10 points. My internet crashed out halfway through. I wonder what was going on in the background. Maybe someone was downloading some naughty torrents or something because I work <laughs> at home. I don't know what happened, but we've kind of got there. And I think we've actually had a bonus point in there as well. <laughs> so we survived. We've got there. I've tried to keep calm. We're carried on. <laughs> now, if you enjoyed any of these points, you can get in touch with Jacob 
on LinkedIn, Jacob Peplo as well. Shout out to his practice for allowing this car crash of a, um, I say car crash because my internet, but a beautiful podcast on a car crash of an internet connection. Um, thank you for allowing your, the architecture practice allowing us to do this. Now, there's 50 points. We've only covered 10. So that means there's 40. My maths has gone as well. I wasn't the best at maths. So if you want to check out the other 40, then I'm going to put a link in the bio to where you can find this on Amazon. You can download this um, ebook. I think it's £2, which is quite cheap. However, it's also on King Kindle unlimited so if you fancy or you're like um you know if you're a bit of a bookworm or an e-bookworm then you can pick it up um for next to nothing which is um i think very generous so jacob you've been an absolute gentleman i'm going to give you a, um, a round of applause and but is there any final words or thoughts you want to say on this episode to the audience um I suppose a very general one, and it's kind of the entire point of the book, really, is just to we kind of enjoy it because it's a very long process. And it's a very there's 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 much easier. Oh, well, I'm saying this. There's I think there's potentially easier ways to get a degree and a career than in architecture, but you won't find any as enjoyable. So try to really enjoy it, and that's kind of the purpose of the book is to help that. I think. But yeah, yeah thanks for thanks for having me on. I've really really enjoyed it, and hopefully it'll be helpful to some people. There you go. Well, now, now you know the, 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 the method behind the madness on, in the architecture <laughs> social, which is just to kind of um, we have a bit of a laugh together. Hopefully this has been useful. Um, do drop a comment, but more importantly, get in touch with um, Jacob as well. And I think the more in the community we share with each other, feedback both way or more stuff like writing books like this and imparting wisdom will be really useful. I remember what it was like to feel alone um, and also I remember what it was like when you're broke and you felt like I didn't want to spend a hundred pounds on some architecture book well this is a very low-cost ebook so let's all help everyone out and um, you know I'm sure the proceeds will go to Jacob's uh, lovely child and, and um, I'll, I'll sort out my internet connection on my own accord as well so thank you so much everyone I'm gonna end this um, this podcast now, Jacob, stay on the line while um, the recording uploads to the end. And I will see you guys soon. Take care, everyone. Bye-bye now. <laughs>